this Super Sunday and the day that you have prepared for us, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Father, today I have come prepared. I have come ready. I've been worshiping you and giving you my very best in worship. And I pray that it pleased you as you heard us as we were singing our songs to you. And now, Lord, we want to hear your voice. And Lord, I believe that the way that that happens many times is through the voice of the preacher. And so I pray today you will anoint Clifton this morning that as he comes, that he will bring us the word that we need to hear and that we will be better for it, we will be encouraged by it, refreshed by it, and we'll be better people because of the word of God in our lives today. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. We receive all that you have for us now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come, Brother Clifton West. Give him a good greeting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bless you. You may be seated. What a, what a welcome. You are such a loving congregation. And I have only met some of you just the last uh, few minutes, but I already like you. I can tell that you are a people who love Jesus. I know that you are worshipers. You are a people of faith. And uh, everyone that I have spoken with today has welcomed me with open arms, and your hospitality is second to none. So thank you, Pastor Rob, for this invitation. I feel so very honored to be here with you today. Uh, I have, I've been an evangelist ever since the Lord called me to preach, and that was at the age of 17. And I have never pastored a church, and I have no interest in pastoring a church. This is exactly what I am called to do, is what I am doing today. But most of my ministry has been in the state of Virginia and a few adjacent states. But this is my first opportunity to preach in Kentucky. I am excited about this opportunity. I am excited about this opportunity. So thank you again so very, very much. This is a super day. It's a super Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Praise God. Let me tell you just a bit about myself, and then we're going to get right into the Word of the Lord. My mother was saved before I was ever born. My father got saved just a few months after I was born. So I was raised in a Christian home, a godly home, a Pentecostal home. And that was a huge advantage for me. That didn't mean I always did what was right. It was a time in my life when I rebelled against mom and dad and against God and against the church. But thankfully the Holy Spirit kept wooing me back and saved me and filled me with a spirit when I was a teenager and called me to preach at the age of 16. And I've been an evangelist ever since then. My wife and I have been married almost 32 years. She's a wonderful woman. Her name is Angie. She wishes that she could be here with you today. We have three wonderful children. Our oldest son graduated from Lee University a number of years ago. Uh, later, he re-enrolled at uh, VCU in Richmond, and he just graduated again this past year. Um, our daughter is the only one of our children that is married. She and her husband live in Mount Airy, North Carolina. And they have a little baby boy, which means I am now a grandpa. I am so excited about that. He's one year old, and he is just so much fun. 
And then we have our third child, his name is Troy. He just graduated from high school a few months ago, a few weeks ago. And uh, so he will be attending college this coming fall. Uh, having said that, I am very thrilled to be here with you. I have a message on my heart from God for you today. I'm also looking forward to the service tonight. If you would stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. I want to draw your attention to an episode in the life of Elijah the prophet from 1 Kings chapter 19. That episode where we find him running from Jezebel and hiding under that juniper tree. Let's take a look at it this morning. Verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Verse 3 continues, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Or one translation says, I've had enough. Now take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Can you say amen to the reading of God's word? I want to give a title to the message this morning. This phrase, it's not as bad as you think. Would you help me preach? Look at somebody beside you and get your preacher finger out there in front of you and say, it's not as bad as you think. It's not as bad as you think. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share the word of the Lord today. I pray just now that you would grant unto me a measure of grace that would enable me to explain and expound upon this scripture in such a way that it would make sense to all of us. That we would understand your word knowing that truth is what sets us free. I pray specifically today for that person that is here that needs a word of hope, a word of faith, a word of encouragement. And that every one of us would be able to say when we leave today that it was so good to have been in the house of the Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Elijah is probably one of my favorite Old Testament characters. I like him from the very start. One page in the Bible, we don't even know he exists. The next page, he's front page news. He goes from obscurity to notoriety right overnight. He had the audacity. To walk up to the king Ahab and say, it's not going to rain anymore until I tell it to. This guy Elijah was some kind of a character. If you follow the highlights of his life, it is one miracle after another miracle after another miracle. On one occasion he prays it stops raining. On another occasion he prays and it starts raining. This man could seem to control the weather. He prayed and fire literally fell out of heaven and consumed his entire sacrifice. On another occasion, he 
was so anointed and enabled of the Lord that he was able to outrun horses for 30 miles to the city of Jezreel. This guy was some kind of character, Elijah. He raised a boy from death to life. He did so many miraculous things. I like Elijah. He's a colorful guy. And when it came time for him to go to heaven, he didn't even die a regular death as you would expect. But a chariot swung low out of heaven and picked him up and took him all the way to glory. What a guy, Elijah. A man of courage, a man of faith, a man of miracles. However, and sad to say, there is this one episode in his life when he appears to be a failure, a coward. I read it to you just moments ago in 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 4 when he hears a death threat from the queen Jezebel and he runs like a coward out into the wilderness and lays down underneath a little broom bush and does not want to see the light of another day. Ask God to let him die. My question is, how in the world does that happen? How do you go from such a man of faith to such a man of failure, from such a man of courage to a coward? How in the world did that happen? And I'll tell you what I think happened. I tell you, I think that it was a matter of perspective. I think that Elijah lost a sense of proper perspective. Here's what happened. His problem kept getting bigger and bigger, and his God kept getting smaller and smaller. And anytime you ever get to the place where you think that your problem is bigger than your God is, you will start acting the same way that Elijah acted. Now there's good news to the end of this story because Elijah has a proper perspective by the end of the story. And he gets out of that cave of despondency and he gets back on the front lines of ministry and he starts pouring into the lives of other people. I think if you could talk with him when it was all over, when this episode of his life was all over and he could talk to you, he probably would say, I don't know why I wanted to die. I don't know why I ran from Jezebel. It ju- it's not as bad as you think. And I feel like the Lord has sent me by here this morning just to tell somebody, regardless of how difficult your challenges may be, from heaven's perspective, it's not as bad. As you think, you say, well, now, wait a minute, I've got cancer. Wait a minute, I just got fired from work or I just got released from work. Wait a minute, pastor, you just don't understand where I'm coming from. I just thought I would tell you from heaven's perspective, it's still not as bad as you think. If you agree with that, clap your hands and give God some glory and some praise. I read a statement the other day that I really like. It says... Ships do not sink because of the water that is around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. The problem with Elijah was not that he had problems on the outside. The problem with Elijah was he let the problems on the outside get over on the inside. I want us to learn three lessons from Elijah's story today. And I want to begin, if I may, with this first one. Point number one, if you like to take notes while the preacher is preaching, then point number one would be, your problem is smaller than you think. Can we say that phrase together? Your problem is smaller than you think. Now, let me read a couple of scriptures here that help prove that point. In the same chapter, 1 Kings 19 at verse 2, it is very clear that... It is Jezebel who sends a messenger to Elijah with the death threat. 
However, in verse 10 from the same chapter when Elijah is in that cave recounting his story back to God, he uses this phrase. He says, they seek to take my life. Now here's what's interesting about that. In verse 2, it is a singular problem. But by the time it gets to verse 10 in the mind of Elijah, it has become a plural problem. The real problem in this story was one woman and her name was Jezebel. There is no evidence. I looked through this chapter several times so I could tell you this story accurately. There is no evidence that the king Ahab wanted to kill Elijah. There is no evidence that the messenger that went to Elijah wanted to take his life If he wanted to take his life, he should have just took the sword out of his sheath and cut his head off right there. There is no evidence that the general population wanted to take the life of Elijah. There is no evidence that any general or any captain of an army or any troops or soldiers were out to take the life of Elijah. The evidence proves that there was one person that wanted to kill Elijah and her name was Jezebel. It was a singular problem. But when Elijah is in that cave and God says, what are you doing here? He says, they all want to kill me. Somehow in his mind, he allowed a singular problem to duplicate and magnify. Now, we can't be too hard on Elijah because we do the same kinds of things. Sometime back in the winter, I was doing some revival meetings and the attendance was small. The weather was cold. There was like a flu epidemic that had been through the community. And the pastor was frustrated. And he made this statement to me. Now, it's not totally accurate, but it, it explains his frustration. He said to me, all my people got the flu. Now, I don't really think that every member in his church got the flu. But to prove his exasperation he made that statement all of my people got the flu I doubt even half of his people had the flu but we have a tendency to over magnify the problem a few weeks ago I was praying in an altar with a young girl elementary age school girl this was back when school was in session and I said how can I pray with you and she made this statement nobody at school likes me I'm sure that's the way she felt. However, if you had interviewed those at school, you probably could have found somebody that likes her. Um, But in her mind and her perspective, she says, nobody likes me. My wife got frustrated at the workplace where she's she's working, and she came home some time back, and she says, nobody at work appreciates me. She said, I do the most of the work and get none of the credit. You know, she, she just was so frustrated. She says, nobody down there appreciates me. I said, Angie, I know that's the way you feel, but there's probably somebody down there that does appreciate you, and if they don't, rest assured your husband appreciates you. But we get, you know, and if I was going to put myself as an evangelist in this same group and over magnify my problem, I might make a statement like this out of frustration. We just don't have revival meetings like we used to. We just don't see people getting saved and spirit filled like we used to back in the olden days. Well, that's a statement of frustration, but it's not true. Our general overseer sent out a tweet the other day. I read on Twitter, and he said in two months' time globally in the church of God, over 69,000 people have been saved. Somebody clap your hand and give God some praise and glory. People are still getting saved. In one meeting just a few weeks ago on a Sunday night, seven people all received the baptism of the Holy Ghost on a single Sunday night. 
So God is still moving and God is still working, but just like Elijah, we have a tendency to magnify the problem. He had one problem, Jezebel, but when he started voicing his problems, he said, they, they, they all want to kill me. I heard this humorous story out of the ministry of uh, Jensen Franklin. He was invited over uh, at a party and said lots of folks were there and they ate a variety of items that were available that night. But he mentioned the mushrooms. He said there were some mushrooms that were available. Now, you have to be careful with mushrooms. They can be poisonous. And he said everyone ate and says that the hostess took the remaining mushrooms and cut them up into some small little pieces and put them on a platter and put them down on the floor for the house cat. And the house cat ate these mushrooms. And within the hour, the cat was laying over against the wall, belly aching, foaming at the mouth. And someone said, oh, no, the cat ate the mushrooms. The mushrooms must be poisonous. They collected every person in the house that had eaten any of those mushrooms and rushed them down to the local hospital and all had their stomachs pumped. When they got back to the house... The cat had given birth to a litter of kittens. (laughs) It had nothing to do with the mushrooms being poisonous. But we have a tendency to create problems in our mind. And we have a tendency to magnify problems in our mind. I've got some good news for you this morning. From heaven's perspective, your problem is smaller than you think. Clap your hands and give God some glory and praise. If God be for us, who could be against us. Your problem is smaller than you think. Let's transition to point number two, and let me suggest to you that your God is greater than you think. Let's make that statement together now. Your God is greater than you think. Again, in 1 Kings 19, at verse 14, Elijah makes a statement. It wasn't true. He thought it was true, but it was, he found out later it was not true. But in verse 14, He's speaking to God. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altar, and slain your prophets with the sword. Now here's the misstatement, but he thought it was true. I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life. He thought he was the only one serving God. Now here's how... I think that God was getting smaller in the mind of Elijah. Or maybe I should phrase that like this. In the mind of Elijah, his problem was getting bigger. And even if God wasn't getting smaller, God's options of fixing the problem were getting smaller. Let me say it like that. Because there were three huge national problems. Now, you've got to remember, at this point, Elijah is in a cave, and twice God asked him, what are you doing here? You don't really belong in this place of despondency. You don't belong in this cave. You belong out there in the community, influencing people and spreading the kingdom of God. And what are you doing in here? Sulking. And Elijah explained it. He says, well, here's why. Because we've got these major national problems. First of all, the people have forsaken your covenant. And number two, they have thrown down your altars. Now, those two big problems might be solved if God had some prophets to work through to solve the problem. But the third problem is that the prophets have all been slain. Well, all of them except for one. And that one that remains is currently out of commission because of a death threat on his life. 
So God, we got big problems and you don't have any options to solve these problems. I'm the only one left and you can't even use me right now because Jezebel wants to take my life. However, when God responds to that in verse number 18, he corrects the perspective of Elijah and says, I have 7,000 in Israel. They all are qualified to be used of God. None of them ever bowed their knee to the idol gods of Baal. And none of them ever kissed the idol image with their mouth. In other words, God said, you think you're the only one left that I could use? I've got 7,000. Now remember, Elijah is referring to himself as one of the options that God can use to solve the national problems. And what God is actually saying is, I have 7,000 options that you don't even know about. Now, sometimes I wonder if we think in our mind that the options are so limited the doctor can't do anything else. Medication can't help anymore. The counselor said, we've done all that we can do. The lawyer says, this is as far as we can go. The husband and wife shrug their shoulders and say, I don't know what to do. And we somehow think that God is in that same group where God has run out of options. I want to remind somebody this morning that he can make a way where there seems to be no way. God has options we haven't even thought about. God has options we haven't even thought about. And he can do some of the most amazing things if we'll just let him do it. Now, I want to insert right here, if I may, a very personal testimony in my life. About 18 years ago, my wife was suffering from severe migraine headaches. How many in here have ever had a migraine headache? You know what I'm talking about. Doctors can do very little to help. She went from doctor to doctor to doctor, and eventually at MCV in Richmond, Virginia, the lead neurologist, after MRIs and x-rays and a variety of other tests, told my wife, that she had diseased areas located in several places throughout her brain. And the way it was initially explained to us seemed inoperable and incurable and just the worst of news. Well, just in case you didn't know it, that will devastate your world to hear something like that. Well, I made a huge mistake. I got on the internet and I started looking at pictures of brain diseases. <laughs> and my faith was getting weaker and weaker and weaker by the moment. I would lay in the bed beside of my wife while she was sleeping and just watch her breathe and put my hand on her and, and feel her inhale and exhale and cry and wonder how much longer she was going to live and how much longer she would be with me. And I called a friend of mine who is known to be a man of faith. That's the kind of people you want to connect with when you've got some big problems going on. Some people of faith. And he told me, he says, Cliff, you're going about it the wrong way. He said, don't get on the internet and look at all those pictures of diseased brains. He said, that's all you're going to be thinking about. He said, transfer your focus from that to the promises of God in his word. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Why didn't I think of that to start with? 
So I'll tell you what I decided to do. It took me just a little while, but I did it. I sat down on the couch one day with my laptop computer in my lap, and I found every miracle performed by Christ in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And on my computer, I pulled up a Word document, and I made two columns, a left column and a right column. And over the top of all of it, I wrote this promise from God. With men, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. And if you listen carefully, you will hear the phrase, with men, in that verse. And later you hear the phrase, with God, in that verse. So they became my column headings. On this side of the page, was this column says, with men. And this side of the column on this page says, with God. And I started finding all the miracles of Christ. And I put them in these columns like this. With men... Bartimaeus was blind, but with God, he received his sight back. With man, Lazarus was dead four days, but with God, he came back to life again. With man, there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee, but with God, there was peace and calm. With men, there were 5,000 that needed to be fed and not enough bread and fish. But with God, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. I listed all the miracles of Christ in that order. And at the bottom of the page, I put, with men, my wife has diseased areas in her brain causing these migraine headaches. But over in the other column, I put, but with God, all things are still possible. And he's the healer. We were on schedule to go back to MCV in Richmond on a particular day for some further tests for my wife. We got there early in the morning. A number of hours later, the lead neurologist and his assistant and associate left the room with, after all these tests and says, we'll come back in a few moments and tell you, you know, what's what. And I looked over at my wife. She was biting her fingernails, which she does a little bit when she gets nervous. And I took her by the hand and I said, we're not going to worry. We're not going to fret. We're going to trust in God. I had my Bible with me, so I decided to turn to one of my favorite psalms and read just a little bit. I decided to go to Psalm 91. Is anyone familiar with that psalm? He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I was reading down through there to my wife on this particular day when we were waiting for the doctors. Verse 4, he shall cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will trust. His truth will be your shield and buckler. I kept reading. Verse 6, the pestilence that walks in darkness. Notice the next phrase. And the destruction that wastes at noonday. I looked over at the clock on the wall. Guess what time it was? It was noonday, exactly, straight up 12 o'clock. And destruction was trying to waste our life at noonday. But I kept reading. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand on your right hand. But it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou see and behold the reward of the wicked. About that time the doctor came in. He had his glasses way down on the end of his nose. 
He coughed a little bit. <clears throat> him hauled around a little bit, shuffled through the papers. He said, Mr. West, Mrs. West, I cannot explain it. All the things we found in the first test, we cannot find in the second test. I say, I can explain it. I can explain it. With men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. I celebrate that my wife is healed and well today. So I want to remind somebody in this place that even though your problems are smaller than you think, number two, your God is greater than you think. Somebody shout hallelujah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too difficult for me? Somebody say praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's go to a third and final point of the message. And that would be that your recovery is closer than you think. Again, from 1 Kings 19, this is the scripture from which I'm preaching this morning. At verse 15, the Lord said to him, now Elijah's in a cave at this point, and the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. One translation says, retrace your steps. Get out of this cave and go right back the same way you came and go back up there where you belong. And the scripture says in verse 19, he departed from there. So he got out of the cave. He departed from there and found Elisha. You know the rest of the story. If you had had opportunity to speak to Elijah when he was in that cave and said, you don't belong in here. What are you doing in here? You belong, you belong up there where you were when Jezebel sent you that death threat. The distance, one commentator said, was about 200 miles. Now, you've got to remember Elijah was traveling most of this on foot. When he was way up here where he was involved in ministry, Jezebel threatened him. He started running for his life. He ran out of the territory of Israel into the territory of Judah. He kept going south until he went all the way through the territory of Judah, including the last frontier town of Beersheba, went a day's journey further to the juniper tree, and then for 40 more days he's traveling until he comes to Horb. So he's a long way from where he started. And if you had said to him, you don't belong here, you belong way up there, he might would have told you, my full recovery is a long way from here. I don't know if I can ever get back to where I'm really supposed to be. But when the scripture says, he departed, he took a step out of that cave. I submit to you that your first step out of the cave is the first step of your recovery. Even if your recovery is a thousand miles away, you can take one step today. You can take one step in the right direction. And I'll tell you the beauty of this whole recovery process for Elijah. Before he even makes it all the way back the 200 miles, while he's still traveling, he walks by a field where there's a man out there plowing in the field behind a yoke of oxen. And Elijah takes his mantle or his prophet's coat off and he throws it over on Elisha. Everyone that saw that understood the symbolism that this is going to be a mentor 
and an apprentice. He's, he's going to start now pouring his life into the life of Elisha and teach and train him in the ways of the prophets. And the thought occurred to me. He hadn't even made it all the way back to his full recovery yet. And he's already pouring into the lives of other people. As a matter of fact, the best way that I know to recover is to stop thinking about how bad things are for you and start helping somebody else. That's the best way I know to recover. All of us could have pity parties. Feel sorry for ourselves. I've been there. Nobody has it as bad as I do. Nobody loves me anymore. Nobody likes my Facebook anymore. Nobody calls me on the phone. No one, inv- no one invites me out for a meal. No one does this or does the other. We, we can all feel that way. The longer you stay in that method of thinking, the longer it's going to take you to recover. But when he took that first step out of that cave and started walking, even though it was a long journey, he saw somebody and started pouring into the lives of others. That's the best way I know to recover is start pouring into the life of someone else. Does that make sense? Anybody say amen. Amen. And so I feel like I'm speaking to someone here this morning that perhaps needs to take your first step of recovery. Maybe you're recovering from an addiction. Maybe you're recovering from depression. Maybe you're recovering from bereavement. Maybe you're recovering from a financial reversal. Maybe you're recovering from a relational disappointment. Maybe you're recovering from a personal failure. Today's a super day for you to take your first step out of that cave. But I also believe I'm speaking to some folk here this morning that are somewhere in that process of recovery. You've been in recovery for three months. You've been in recovery for a year or two. You haven't made it all the way back. Maybe you would even say to me, it seems like every time I take one step forward, I get knocked two steps backwards. Well, I just want to offer you a word of encouragement today that Alpha is Omega and God that began a good work in you will continue it into the day of Jesus Christ and God has not given up on you. He's a God... Of recovery. He's a God of recovery. Let me share this final testimony with you. A true story. A little girl named Jeannie was eight years old and was invited to a youth camp by a friend. Now Jeannie didn't go to church. Her parents didn't go to church and she knew nothing about God. But she went to youth camp just to get away for a week and try to have a little fun. One night while Jeannie was at the youth camp, the speaker for that evening had built a little bonfire and had given all the girls a pine cone to hold in their hands. And at a particular moment in the sermon said, if you are willing to give your life completely to God and let God consume your life, then toss your pine cone in this fire. And all the other little girls were doing it, so Jeannie did the same thing, although it really wasn't much of a commitment on her part. When she got back home, she did not attend church. She graduated from high school. She went to college, graduated college. She became a school teacher. 
A number of years later, Jeannie had a nervous breakdown and ended up in a mental institution. In the meantime, Jeannie's mother had got saved and was attending a revival service just like this one. When the altar invitation was given, Jeannie's mother went to the front and said to the pastor and the evangelist, I want to stand in for my daughter who has a lot of emotional problems and claims to be an atheist, that somehow God would save her and deliver her. While they were praying for Jeannie's mother in proxy of Jeannie, the Lord spoke to the evangelist and said, I want you to pray for Jeannie in person, one-on-one in person. So when service was over, the evangelist asked this lady where her daughter was so he could go pray for her. She said, well, she's in a hospital 500 miles away from here. He said, well, I must obey God. I'm going to go the 500 miles and I'm going to pray for her. When this pastor walked into that hospital room with his Bible in his hand, identified himself as a minister, Jeannie wanted nothing at all to do with him and never met the man before. She said, I don't believe in God. I don't want you to read anything from that book. And I just want you to get out of my room and leave me alone. And it seemed like a wasted trip. As the minister turned to walk out of the room, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, go back and tell her one more thing before you leave. Didn't make any sense to the pastor, to the evangelist. He didn't know what this would mean to Jeannie. But he went back in there and says, I don't know what this is about, but I cannot leave until I tell you one thing, and that is that God says to me to tell you he never did forget when you were eight years old and threw a pine cone in a fire at a youth camp. She said, wait, wait, don't, don't you dare leave. Don't you leave. She said, what kind of a God? could tell you today something I did years ago in my life. Come back in this room and tell me more about your God. Make a long story short, Jeannie got saved and Jeannie got healed and she's been serving God the last 20 years of her life. I want to encourage somebody this morning that your recovery is closer than you think it is. Stand with me in the house of the Lord. Let us celebrate the goodness of God. Clap your hands and celebrate. Your problem is smaller than you think, and your God is greater than you think, and your recovery is closer than you think. Bow your head, please. Father, we hear your words today. You're speaking to us. We hear what you're saying. Give us a proper perspective. Help us to see things as you see things. Lord, forgive us forever taking our eyes off of you and off of your promises. Forgive us for focusing too much on what they say or what the problem looks like or the challenge that is before us. Today we open ourselves to hear a word of faith and a word of hope. Holy Spirit, move upon the congregation just now, every man and every woman every boy and every girl and remind us that you are a God of recovery a God of restoration a God of hope I ask in Jesus name if you will close your eyes and keep your heads bowed just a moment longer please 
I want to ask a couple of questions and I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hands. That's why I'm asking that no one look around because I want you to be able to raise your hand without any sense of intimidation today. God brought me a long way from home to come here to meet you today for the first time and I think that I'm here on an assignment from heaven. And I have prayed and many of you have prayed that today would be a day of significance. And here's where it really all comes to bear right now. Your response to the Word of God. You, like Elijah, somehow let your problems get too big in your mind and let God get too small in your mind. Well, don't beat yourself up over that because here's the good news. God comes to you today to offer you a way out. To offer you a step of recovery. Perhaps you're here today and you need to be saved. Sin dominates your life. You feel so unworthy. How could God love someone like you? How could God save someone like you? Why would God give you another chance? That's just the kind of God He is. He is full of loving kindness and tender mercy. He is extending His hand to you today. No one's looking or watching but me. If you realize that you need to be saved, and in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and here's what's going to happen. After you raise your hand and put your hand down, following that, I'm going to stand right here and you're going to stand right where you are and I am going to pray for you at this point. I'm not inviting you to the altar. We may do that later, but right now we're not going to do that. So you can stay right where you are and I'm going to stay where I am. But I just, I just want an acknowledgement. I want a hand raised of confession that says... I need to be saved. I realize that I need to be saved. I need my sins forgiven. If that defines and describes you, would you raise your hand, please? Just for a moment, raise your hand and put it right back down. I'm the only one watching. I see your hand. God bless you. I'm looking around. Is there another? Is there another? Father, I thank you for the hand that was raised in an acknowledgement that I need to be saved. I pray right now that they would experience your amazing grace. Jesus, as you said to a woman in the Bible, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I pray that today would be step one. The raising of a hand would be step one 
on a road to recovery. I pray that just now, according to the New Testament, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray that by the raising of a hand is step one to a road of recovery. I ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, again, your head is still bowed and your eye is still closed. Let me ask another question. You are a Christian. You're a believer. You're you're saved. You love God. You're on your way to heaven and I celebrate that. However, right now you're kind of like Elijah in that episode of his life where your problems have gotten so big that it's left you feeling a bit despondent. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe you're struggling with thoughts of suicide. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that the doctors cannot find anything that can help you recover. Maybe you're getting deeper and deeper in debt and you do not see a way out. And you just kind of feel a little bit hopeless right now. Would you raise your hand, please? Yes, yes, yes. I see hands going up all over this place. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Open your eyes and look forward. Here's what we're going to do together. I'm going to ask if you're still here for the five of you that came up earlier during prayer time that we had three standing over here I think and two standing over there if you are still here in the sanctuary would you mind the five of you come back up here just now and stand where you were before and and be ready to help me to pray for some other folks thank you for your response God bless you I'll be standing right there with you momentarily pastor would you like to join us We're going to stand here and we're going to lay hands upon you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to hear your requests. We're going to pray for those that will respond today. We're not going to reveal who raised their hand, who didn't raise their hand. That's God God saw all that and acknowledged all of that. But here's what I'm going to do just now. If you yourself need recovery or perhaps you want to come up here and stand in for somebody that you know that needs recovery, a family member, a co-worker, a friend, All of us that are standing up here are qualified and prepared and ready to help you pray for recovery for yourself or for someone else. So just start moving towards the altar just now. Those of you that raised their hands and those of you that didn't raise your hand, you want recovery or you want to stand in for somebody else that needs recovery, come on down just now. We're going to pray with you.
and celebrate what the Lord is doing today. Recovery is being experienced around the altars this morning. Pastor is coming momentarily, but I want you to repeat these phrases after me. Say, my problem is smaller than I thought. My God is greater than I thought. And my recovery is closer than I thought. It has been a pleasure ministering unto you today. I look so forward to the service tonight. I'll see you then. Pastor, would you come please? And I'm just thinking about Elijah and how, and I'm not going to re-preach the message. You know that. I'm, but I'm wondering how you get from that place of great and, and wonderful and exciting things from God. Miracles everywhere then find yourself in the cave and I thought about our church and thought about all that we've come through and all that we've been through and I'm telling you I was telling him again last night about all that God has done in the last seven years he's been faithful let me encourage you today you can get where you need to be it may look like that there is no way but with God it is always possible aren't you glad to know that today. Amen. I thank you so much for coming this morning. You can be dismissed. Please come back this evening at 6 p.m. Let's come ready to worship the Lord and hear the word of the Lord. Go by and say hello to Pastor West today and let him know that you've enjoyed him being with us today. God bless you. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Hold up for just a second. I forgot. Now, we don't